The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. And Lord, what we've sung is true. My God, we just want you to be here. We want you to speak this morning. We're desperate to hear from you this morning. Lord, there's no wisdom outside of you, and so Lord, we need your wisdom. So Lord, this morning as we open your word together, would you speak clearly? We trust you, we love you, we thank you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I'm really glad you're with us this morning. You know, if, if you don't uh, know me at all, one of the things that if you're around me for 30 seconds you'll learn is that I like to joke around a lot. It's the way I deal with things. It's the way I cope with things. When, I, when I'm dealing with something that's, uh, that's really fun or whatever, I joke around. When I'm dealing with something that's really difficult, I, I joke around. I, I don't know why that I'm broken that way, but I am, all right? There's something wrong with my brain, and you let me preach. So uh, that's just the way that I am. You know, I, I was talking to a friend just the other day, he was telling me a story, like telling me a very personal, deep story about his life. And as soon as he finished uh, talking, I made a very dumb joke about what he just said. And he said, are you, I'm glad to see you're listening. And then I had this epiphany. I said, no, that's the weird thing. That's the messed up thing. If I don't make a joke about what you're saying to me, I'm not listening. But my brain, when it takes things in, that's how it processes it, because I'm broken. My brain is messed up. And you know, so I like to communicate that way even. But you know, as I prepared for the sermon this week, uh, that this topic we're covering today doesn't really lend itself to that. In fact, it's very serious. I mean, the National Institute of Mental Illness, it reported that anxiety disorders and persistent, uh, persistent depressive disorders uh, affect about 40 million adults in the United States, ages 18 and older. Um, it's the most common mental illness in the United States. It's a big deal. It's a big deal that people are dealing with. And anxiety disorders and persistent depressive disorders are serious and need to be treated. If you, if you feel like you might be suffering from any of that, you need help. And that's, that's not what we're going to be talking about this morning. If I use the word depressed, I, I'm not necessarily referring to somebody who's suffering from one of these disorders. Please go get help. Please go see a doctor. We fully support that. But let me be clear. These are not necessarily our main topics for today. When I, what I I'm going to talk about today, when I say the dark times, I'm talking about maybe a better word to use would be melancholy, right? A time of some sort of pensive sadness. And, and everybody's been there in some way. And, and that's just the word I use. I use the word the dark times. That's kind of the phrase that I use when I talk to people. And if I'm in a difficult place, that's what I say. That's the terminology I use. Now that might be really churchy. I don't know where I got that terminology. I don't know where I got the dark times. But, but I, I tell people I'm in a really dark place right now now and you know what that's like when there's there's some sort of difficulty in your life and there's some sort of just sadness that's just almost crushing there's some sort of there's some sort of melancholy that you feel like you're not going to make it through and maybe you know what caused it and maybe you didn't but it doesn't matter doesn't matter how you got there you're there 
the dark times. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, because we've all been there. And, and where I want to find hope this morning is in one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 19. You can go ahead and turn there if you'd like in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there might be one under your seat, 1 Kings 19. There's a table of contents in the front if you don't know where 1 Kings is. And if you need to use it, that's what it's there for. There ain't no shame in your game. 1 Kings 19. If you don't follow along on your smartphone, tablet, whatever, you can do that as well. You know, this is one of my favorite passages, and I've preached on it before, but I've never preached on it like this. This, this week, is, uh, as, as I encountered a lot of different people, and, and the Lord put this message on my heart, I go to this passage, a completely familiar passage, a passage that I love, and a passage that I visit quite often, and yet the Lord spoke very differently to me this week. And so uh, I'm convinced, someone told me this morning, the Lord's going to speak to somebody today, and I believe it. I'm convinced that the Lord has a message for somebody special this morning. Maybe it's you. But let me catch up to where we are in 1 Kings 9. Um, we're, we're looking at a guy who's one of my favorite Old Testament characters. His name's Elijah, uh, one of my absolute uh, favorite dudes in the Old Testament. He, at this point, he's defeated the prophets of Baal, literally called fire down from heaven. That's a pretty baller move. Then after that, he start, like he brings rain back that he started. He starts this drought, and then he brings it back, right? Or the Lord does through him, which is pretty incredible. And then he tells the king, hey, king, look, I'm going to bring all this rain. You better get in your chariot. You better head back to the palace. And then it says that the spirit of the Lord came upon Elijah. He kind of hikes up his robe and then outruns the chariot, okay? He, Usain, bolts it back, all right? Are you with me on this? So Elijah's like a really, really incredible guy. And that's where we pick up in 1 Kings 19. He just beat this chariot on foot, which is pretty awesome. And here's what happens. King Ahab gets back. He talks to his wife, Jezebel. He goes, you would not believe what happened out there. And so he tells her everything. He says, look, Elijah, he brought, the, he brought the reins back. That dude, he outran me, all right? Like, he needs a sponsorship. I don't know, Nike, Under Armour, whatever. But that dude is fast, and he outran me back here. Uh, but also, I really hate to tell you this, baby. I know you're a big fan of Baal and all, but um, he didn't really show up. Uh, Elijah challenged uh, our prophets and, and they had, they, he, he told us to make an altar and then to call fire down, to call, to call Baal to, to have fire show up. And, and baby, I don't know how to tell you this. I love you. You look so pretty today. I don't know how to tell you this, but, but Baal didn't show up. And then, and then Elijah, he, he actually got his altar really wet. And I thought, well, what an idiot. This is going to be real easy for us. And then he literally, he just talks to God like one time and, and Jehovah showed up and, and fire came down and, and baby, I don't know how to tell you this, but, but he killed all these prophets of Baal because it was, I mean, he won like, and we made the bet. All right. We made the bet. We said, no, our God's real. And, and Elijah said, let's just settle this. And, and baby, I don't know how to tell you this, but, but all these people that, that serve the God that, that you're all about, your God didn't really show up and, and Elijah killed everybody. Okay. I'm going to go over here now. Okay. I'm gonna go watch some TV. And so Jezebel is furious. She's furious. And so she immediately gets a messenger, right? She immediately, it's, it's kind of the things we do today now, like, right, when you send a text, when you're angry, you don't think about it, you just text it out, right? That's exactly what she does. She grabs a messenger, and she says, you go find Elijah, and you tell him I'm going to kill him. And if I don't kill him by tomorrow, may the gods do to me what he did to all of those people, all right? So I'm going to kill that guy. You send out that message. So Elijah's sitting there. He gets this message, come in. Uh, hey, uh, just a messenger. Oh, Jezebel's going to kill you. Okay, bye, right? And so he gives him this message, and Elijah is terrified. He's terrified. Now, why? I mean, he just called fire down from heaven. He just outran a chariot. I'm fairly certain he can outrun Jezebel, right? Like, what in the world is happening? But Jezebel, her, her threat is not idle. 
we see in the in the earlier chapters of first kings that she killed a lot of the prophets of god like he he must believe that he's not outside of her reach and he's terrified and so he runs he runs as far as he can he runs i mean roughly about six days he just runs he's just taken off trying to get away from her he gets as far away as he possibly can and then when he gets as far away as he possibly can he goes a little bit further he tells his servant he goes hey uh you stay here i'm just gonna walk and so for a day, he walks out into the wilderness, and as he walks out in the wilderness, he sits under this tree. Look there in verse 4. He came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. He was done. He was done. He was so overwhelmed by the anxiety that, that was facing him. He was so fearful. He was so upset. He was done. He despaired of life. That's the dark place he's in. He, he didn't even, he couldn't even go any further. He just laid down. He just wanted to sleep. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been exactly where Elijah was, where you despaired of life. God, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not saying that you're suicidal. I'm not saying that you're going to try to take your life. But I'm saying that in that moment, you despaired of life. I don't want to do this anymore. God, I don't want to do this anymore. If this is it, if something doesn't change, just take me. I'm done. And so he just lays there waiting for God to take him. But God sends his own messenger. Jezebel sent one. God said, fine, I'll send one too. Look at verse 5. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. So God, at that moment, had a choice. He says, Elijah says, kill me. And God says, I don't think so. So he sends his messenger. He wakes up. He has that meal waiting for him, this hot meal ready for him. He wakes up, he eats it, and he goes back to sleep. He rests again. Again, Elijah's still in this place of despairing. There's still this, he doesn't even want to do anything. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you are there right now. We're in this place of melancholy where it doesn't matter. You're not motivated. You don't want to move. You just want to sleep. I know I get like that in times of darkness And so the angel comes back and he wakes him up again. And look at verse 7. He says, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. And so he rises and he eats. And then what does it say? It says that he travels for 40 days and 40 nights to the mountain of God. He travels there on that one meal. That is a heck of a power bar. But whatever it was that got him there, God, God sustained him, he provided for him, and he gets to the mountain of God, and he goes into a cave in the mountain of God. This is the same mountain that Moses met with him, met with God. It's the same mountain that Moses uh, saw God. It's the same mountain that the Ten Commandments were given to him. And so he goes into this cave, Elijah goes in this cave, and the Lord says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Listen to his reply, look at verse 10. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He's saying, all is lost. I'm all alone. I've served you faithfully. No one else will serve you. All the prophets are dead. So God says, you come out here, stand at the edge of this cave, and you meet with me. Come see me. And so what happens next? Well, a great wind comes over the mountain. But God wasn't in the wind. A great earthquake happens and shakes the mountain. But God's not in the earthquake. A great fire comes and covers the mountain. But God wasn't in the fire. And then it says that a low whisper speaks. A still small voice speaks. And Elijah recognizes that's God's voice. So he covers his face and comes to the edge of the cave. And God asks again. 
what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah responds the same way, the exact same way. He says, I'm like, I'm the only one left. It's all over for me. There's nobody else out there. Why does he, why in the world does God do this? Why does he ask this question? What are you doing here? Then put this display on, right? You have this, he tells him, come see me, come meet with me. And we see the earth and the earthquake and the, and the fire and we see the wind. And then we, and then he hears this, this still small voice. Why, why does he do all of that to ask the exact same question? And I think he was hoping Elijah's answer would change. I mean, his answer is what? His answer is about complaining. His answer is about fear. There's no confidence in Elijah as he speaks to God. And maybe God wanted to remind him of his power and his presence to fill him with confidence. Remember my power, Elijah. Remember that I've been with you, Elijah. Remember that I'm still with you, Elijah. Remember all the great things I did through you and for you and for my people, Elijah. Now, what are you doing here? Hoping Elijah's answer would change, but it didn't. He didn't get the message. Maybe, maybe Elijah is so, such in a dark place. He's despaired so much that he's not even looking for God. Maybe that's it. I mean, you think about Moses on that same mountain. God, let me see you, please. And God's like, eh, I don't know. Oh, let me see you, please. And then we see this, this, this strange thing happen where God says, fine, I, I can't reveal my full self to you because you can't see me and live. So, so I'll cover you. I'll put my hand over you. I'll hide you in the rock. And when I pass by, I'll remove my hand so you can see my back. Now, God is spirit. I'm not saying that he's got a, a back or a hand or anything like that. But, but in some way, God covers Moses up passes by him and gives him some sort of revelation of himself. God, Moses gets to see something of God that no one else living on that planet at that time has seen. He gets to see that really incredible thing. God tells Elijah, come out of the cave and see me. And Elijah doesn't move. Elijah waits and the storm happens and fire and all this other stuff. And then when God does show up, when he, when he hears God, he, he covers his face and comes forward. It's almost a, a move of fear. I think he was, in a, he was so dark in that dark place. I don't know if he was even looking for God at this point. But regardless, the Lord instructs him. Look at verse 15. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of, of uh, Abel Meolah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel. All the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. So God reveals to Elijah, I've still got work for you to do, bud. It is not over. I need you to go do this and then go do this. And this is what I'm going to do through that. And then what does he reveal to him? You aren't alone. There are 7,000 people who haven't bowed a knee to Baal. 7,000. What does he do? He confronts that lie. And if you continue in the chapter, chapter 19, it ends with Elijah going to find Elisha going to find his, ultimately his replacement, who ends up assisting him. And so I want to answer three questions this morning through this passage. One, what do we learn about the dark times from 1 Kings 19? Two, what do we learn about God? What, and then three, what do we learn about ourselves? So one, what do we learn about the dark times? What do we learn about that melancholy? Well, one, they can strike anybody. They can strike anybody. Elijah is God's man at this point. He is the man that God is using to challenge this, this false worship of Baal among the people of God. Who does he use? Elijah, go get him. Elijah, go get him. 
right? Who does he use to stop up the rain? Elijah, go get him. Who does he use to raise the dead? Elijah raises the dead. I mean, some crazy stuff. He is God's man at this point, and yet the dark times still came from him. And you might think that maybe you're in a place where you're immune to this. You're going, you know what? My personality doesn't lend itself to this. You know, I, I, I really trust the Lord. You know, I don't know if this is going to happen to me. Or, or maybe, maybe you're in a time of melancholy and you believe you're there because you're not spiritual enough. You know, maybe, maybe you're not, maybe you're not uh, good enough and you deserve this. But you know what? It can strike anybody. You know, this is a true story from, from this man's autobiography. In the mid-1800s, he went to a doctor and, and he was suffering from depression. He was suffering from this melancholy. He was suffering from these dark times. And, and the doctor checked him out and physically he was 100% okay. And so he determined, you know what, you just need to get out. You need to cheer yourself up. And he says, I have really good news for you. Um, Grimaldi the clown is in town, this really famous comedian and clown at the time. And he said, anyone who goes, he has everyone just rolling in the aisles. You need to go there you need to let him make you laugh and it'll it'll cheer you up it'll pick up your spirits and then the man looked at the doctor and he said I am Grimaldi and that's true that's true that's from his autobiography he suffered from depression he suffered from sadness and so you might say you know what I don't think that my personality lends me to suffering doesn't lend me to this type of melancholy but it can strike anyone and then also uh, not only can it strike anyone it can strike any time you talk about a spiritual high. You ever been on spiritual high where you and God were like this? You know what I mean? Like you thought that maybe if you looked over your shoulder quick enough, you could see him. You know what I mean? You could catch a glimpse of him. Like you were like that. Maybe it was uh, some sort of retreat you went on with the church. Maybe it was just some experience you had and then God did something great in your life and it was just the best time ever. Well, you know what? I, I see your best time ever with God and I raise it with Elijah. Do we need to recap everything he just did? All the things that God did through him. He just ran a 5K in 30 seconds with God's power okay like he's he really knows God this is really incredible he is in a very very uh, wonderful place with God and yet Jezebel threatens him he's afraid in this single fear snowballs out of control it snowballs out of control and pulls him down into this dark place and there are times that I feel like my life is almost sadness proof you know everything's going well Everything's going well at home. Everything's going well with our kids. Everything's going well at the church. Everything's going well with our friends. Everything's just, you know, it's just going well. But it can strike any time. Like Elijah, one fear, one, one anxiety, one, one wrong thing can just snowball everything out of control. And maybe that's you. You can't believe that. You can't believe that you're in this dark place. You don't even know how you got here. And if you turned around and looked at it, you would realize it was just this one little thing, this one hair out of place, this one, this one little ghost in the machine that messed it all up, that caused this, this snowball out of control. The dark times can happen in an instant to anyone. And they can also last a while. We learned that. You know, Elijah suffers in this darkness before he speaks to God. From the time he runs to the time he sees God. It's about two months. It's about two months of this suffering. You ever had a bad day? Or maybe it wasn't your week, your month, or even your year. Anybody? All right, anyway, I, uh, maybe, maybe you've had a difficult time. Friends, check it out on Netflix, pretty good. Uh, maybe, maybe you've had a difficult time. And maybe, maybe you thought, you know what, the right song is going to snap me out of this. The right, you know what, the right experience at church is going to snap me out of it. 
the right whatever, the right equation, whatever it is, it's just going to snap me out of it. But the reality is it can last a while. I mean, two months later, Elijah's still here. He's still in this dark place. And maybe the same is for you. We learn that it can last a while. We also learn that they're serious. We learn that they're serious. What was Elijah's response to this melancholy? God, I'm done. I want to die. I know, I know there have been mighty things that have happened. You've used me in incredible ways. I'm done. I'm not useful anymore. It's over. I just want to lay down. I just want to sleep. Every time the angel of the Lord wants to speak to Elijah, what does he have to do? He has to wake him up. He has to wake him up. He's not only is he saying, you know what, I'm ready to die. I'm not useful anymore at all. And it's a serious time, and it's nothing, it's nothing we can just ignore. It's nothing we can just say, you know what, uh, let's just be passive here. It'll pass, whatever. No, this is something we should face. If you're in that difficult time, you're in that dark place, let's face it, because they're serious. And the last thing, we learn they're supported by lies. What's Elijah's response to God when God says, what are you doing here? He reveals that he believes something that's not true. He believes that he's alone. He believes that he's the only one left that serves God. God, it's over, it's pointless, all of your people are done. And so that's what drove his fear and drove his melancholy. And you know what? It's in these dark places that the enemy's gonna whisper louder than he's ever whispered before. And he's whispering in your ear all of these lies. You're alone. You aren't loved. You, you, you will never get out of here. This is it. It's over. And if we're like Elijah and we start to believe those lies, we'll fall into that place where we even despair of life. And they're supported by lies. So what do we learn about melancholy in these dark times in 1 Kings 19? One, they can strike anyone and they can strike at any time. We've learned that they're serious. We learned that they can last a while. We learned that they're supported by lies. Now, what do we learn about God? Let's get to some good news. What do we learn about God? One, we learn that God may be silent, but he's not absent. Maybe silent, but he's not absent. We see that he runs, we see that Elijah runs for a week. He runs away from Jezebel. He's terrified. He's got to get out of here. We don't see any interaction between him and God for that week. We don't see any time where God says, hey, Elijah, stop, stop, stop. Hey, stop, turn up, stop, stop. We don't see any of that. We see Elijah just run and run and run. But then when he stops and when he lays down, who's there? God's right there. He ran as far away as he possibly could from Jezebel and then he kept running. And who was there? God was there. Then we see that he walks for 40 days. 40 days. We don't see any interaction between him and God for those 40 days. But when he gets to the mountain, who's there? God's there. God's there. It's easy in our lives to equate the silence of God with the absence of God. But that's a lie. That's another whisper of the enemy. You know, it reminds me, um, when I put my kids to bed, sometimes our oldest, our six-year-old, and then our twin uh, four-year-olds, one of them's here right now. What's up, Jude? Cool, not paying attention. All right, so uh, when we put them to bed, they have bunk beds. They have like three, there's, there's a, a bunk bed and then there's like a trundle bed. Is that what that's called? The little pullout or whatever? Uh, I call it the hobo bed. So we pull out the hobo bed and my daughter sleeps on that and Jude sleeps on the bottom one then Max sleeps on the top. And what they always try to do, they always try to sucker one of us into laying down with them for a minute. Which if you know what that's like, you know you put your kids to bed at eight and then if you lay down with them, what happens? You fall asleep, and then you wake up at 9, and then you're up at 2 o'clock going, what other Netflix shows have I not watched yet, right? And so, so they try to do that to us all the time. Well, the other night it worked, and so they said, would you lay down with us? I said, fine. So I got up on the top bunk with Max, and, uh, and I lay down up there with him. Well, 
my boy Jude is here today, a uh, little sweet boy, and he uh, talks a lot. He, sometimes he just, he's a chatterbox, right? He's a real shy kid. Aren't you shy? You shy? Yeah, all right, all right. He's about to pee his pants. So anyway, he's a shy kid, but, but if you can get him talking, he just gets these moments, and he just talks and talks and talks, and he just talks about the sweetest stuff and just all these stuff. And, and so anyway, we were laying down, and he was talking, and so his bunk is under Max's, so he can't see me, but he's just, Daddy, Daddy. Can Jesus hear us right now? Yes, son, he can. Okay. Go to sleep. Okay. Daddy? Daddy? Why, why is it dark? Because it's nighttime, son. We need to go to sleep now, all right? Let's just go to sleep. Okay, okay, daddy, okay. Daddy? Daddy, you love me. Yes, Jude, right now you're testing it, you're pushing it, but yes, I do, I do love you. Please go to sleep. So at a certain point, I realized I just, I'm just not going to respond. I'm keeping this conversation going. And so I just stopped talk, I just stopped responding, hoping he would think like I was asleep. He'd go, Daddy, Daddy, and I'd just be silent. Daddy, 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 Daddy! And he starts freaking out. He starts screaming, Daddy. And, and so at this point, I'm angry because I'm thinking he's yelling at me. And I lean over and I go, what? And then he goes, oh, I thought you had left. And so he thought that because I was silent, that I had somehow snuck down the steps past him and gone out the door. He thought I was gone because I was silent. And the enemy says the same thing to us. He's silent, therefore he's gone. But look at God's word. Hebrews 13, 5 says this, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And Jesus said it himself. He said, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Wherever you go, I'm with you always. God's silence never equals his absence, not for his people. He can't leave you. He promised he wouldn't. The second thing is that God strengthens us. When Elijah laid down to die, because he had said he had had enough, God did what? He provided food to strengthen him. Elijah didn't ask for the food. He didn't. He wanted to die, but God provided strength for him anyway. Then when the journey was too much for him, what did he do? He provided a supernatural strength to him to get through that. And have you ever been in a time of, of difficulty? You've been in that dark place, that time of melancholy, and you said, I can't make it. Well, let me tell you something. Maybe you can't. Maybe you can't. On your own strength, you can't. But you know what our God does? He always shows up for his people, and he provides a supernatural strength to endure. You know, it reminds me of the story, um, Horatio Spafford, I'm sure you're familiar with the story, a lot of you are, I'm sure, um, who, who his, his wife is on this transatlantic uh, ship uh, ride with their four daughters, and the, the ship begins to sink, and his four daughters um, drown. And so his wife sends a telegram back to the United States to tell him that his, uh, that his daughters had drowned. So he gets on a ship to take the exact same voyage, and when he gets to that point in the ocean, where that ship went down, where his four little girls drowned. Here's what he wrote. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Who can do that? Who in that moment can write those words? Nobody can. He couldn't. The Holy Spirit could. God showed up and gave him and dwelt him with this incredible strength to endure. And he can provide supernatural strength in the darkness for you. 
He can show up and provide a strength that you can't even, you don't even know how to ask for it because you don't even understand it because it's so high above us. And that's what God does. Elijah said, I can't. And God says, no, 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 let me, let me be very clear about this. I know you can't. So get up and eat and I will. I'll do it through you. And he does the same for us. He provides for us the strength we don't have for ourselves. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Every day we can truthfully say, I can't. And every day the mercies of God are right there saying right back to us, I will. Every day we can say, this is too much, I can't endure. And every day as the sun rises, God will be there saying, I will do it for you. I will give you the strength. And that's what our God does. And if you ever forget that, look at the cross. It's exactly what he did. I can't, we can't. And God says, but I can and I will. And he says the same to us in the darkness. I'll strengthen you. I know it's too much. I know you can't make it. I'll do it. I'll strengthen you. So he can. The third thing we learn about God, God isn't done with those in the dark. It's easy when we're in the darkness, we're in those difficult times, to think we've been cast off, to think we've been forgotten, to think we've been pushed out. What is God's first message to Elijah in the mountain? When, when Elijah answers him the second time and tells him why he's there, what's God's first message? I'm not done with you yet. I've got more for you to do. And he gives him, he gives him a job. He gives him responsibilities. He says, I'm not done with you. And you may be suffering. You may be in a difficult time of melancholy. But that doesn't mean God doesn't have wonderful work for you to do. It reminds me of, of Peter who betrays Jesus, who, who, who completely denies Jesus three times, even though he said, I wouldn't. He said, I'm not gonna do it. Everybody else might betray you, Jesus. Everybody else might deny you and leave you. Not me, not old Pete. I'm here, number one, number one fan. And then Jesus says, you're gonna deny me three times. And he said, I, hmm, Jesus, you've been right about everything else, but I don't know about this one, buddy. And he goes, no, three times. For the rooster crows, you'll deny me. And that's exactly what he did. So he's completely distraught. He's definitely in a dark place. Can you even imagine? So Jesus comes back from the dead and he sees him again. And what does Jesus do? He says, I'm not done with you yet, Peter. Do you love me? And he says, of course I do. Then feed my sheep. Jesus says, look, I've got a plan for you. I've got work for you to do. The darkness is not the end of your story. That's not what our God is. That's not who our God is. That's not what he does. And so he does that to Peter. And the same thing for you. You may be in a difficult place. And you know what the enemy's telling you? God's done with you. He's forgotten about you. You're thrown away. And it's not true. It's not what our God does. He doesn't throw us away. He has wonderful work for you to do. So lastly, what do we learn about ourselves? One, we learn that we need to be obedient in the dark. You know, Elijah was ready to die. He's ready to give up. I'm assuming at this point his spiritual discernment was probably super duper low, all right? Maybe he's not getting new messages from God. But you know what he knew? He knew that he was told to get up. He knew he was told to eat. And he knew he was told to walk. So that's what he did. He got up, he ate, and he walked. He knew that much. Maybe you're in a fog of confusion in the darkness someplace in your life. Be obedient where you can. Maybe you're not hearing God's voice afresh anymore. Maybe you're not hearing some sort of wisdom that you wish you could hear. Maybe you're not hearing some sort of guidance you wish you could hear. That's okay. What's he told you already? What do you know he wants you to do? Do that. 
I had a place not too long ago in my life where I would say I was in a dark place, where I was in a difficult place, where I was, I was sad, I was unmotivated, I was just, I was in a spiritual fog. I didn't know necessarily maybe what God wanted me to do with, with this certain thing in my life or how to move forward with this in my life. But you know what I did know? I did know that he called me to be kind to other people. I did know that he called me to love people as I love myself. I, did, I didn't know what was next, but I did know what was right right now. And even if you don't understand where you're going, even if you don't understand how to get out of this darkness, do what you know is right. Be obedient. Elijah did that. Elijah was just simply obedient in the darkness, but it didn't make sense. He said, God, I want to die. And God said, nope, strength, I'm going to strengthen you up. You're going to walk for 40 days. Even when it didn't make sense, Elijah said, okay, fine. And what happened? He saw God. And the same for you. You want to walk out of this darkness? I don't know how long it's going to take. But I do know one factor it's going to require. Be obedient in the dark. Do what you know in the dark. And not, not, just, not just in the light. So keep looking for God. Number two, keep looking for God. God told Elijah, come out here and meet me. God told Elijah right where he was. Elijah knew where to meet God. In Psalm 13, we're going to see David's in a, in a dark time. I think we got it. We can read it together. You can read along with me. Look at what David wrote. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel of my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. These are the dark times. These are the dark times he's dealing with. These are the dark times that David is trying to endure. But look at his response. He's still looking for God. Look at verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I'll sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. He looked for him where he knew he was. What did he do? He went to prayer. He went to singing. He said, I know God hears my prayers. I know he hears my voice when I sing. I know he's there. And so he goes there. He looks for God where he knows him. And then he looks for God where he's been. He begins to give him thanks for all that he's done for him. He says, God's dealt bountifully with me. He starts giving thanks. And so I know you're in the dark, but keep looking for him. And keep looking for him where you know he is. You know he hears your songs. You know he hears your, your praises. You know he hears your prayers. So go to him. Bring those songs to him. Call out to him. Sing to him. Bless him. You know he hears those. Go to him where he's always been. Be thankful. In Philippians 4, 6, one of the, one of the remedies for anxiety is thanksgiving. Go there. Thank him for where he's been. Thank him for what he's done for you. You might not see where he is now. You might not see where you're going. But you know where you've been. You know how good he's been to you. Go to where you know he is. Keep looking. Keep looking. Go where you've met him over and over and over again. The third thing. Listen to the truth. Elijah's melancholy was fed by the lies that he believed. And it wasn't until God confronted him with the truth that he really was able to be set free. It changed everything. And his word will do the same for you. You know, that you might believe a lie that, that you aren't loved, that, that, that there's no way if God loved you, he would leave you like this. And go to his word and you would recognize that he gave his son for you. Go to his word and recognize that nothing can separate you from his love. Maybe there's a lie that you're condemned, that you're separated from God, and that's why you're in this dark place. Go to his word and remember that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
there was a time in my life, again, a, a dark time in my life, and, and I didn't want to eat. I didn't want to get out of bed. It was, I was there for several days just thinking, like, God, I don't know where you are. I don't know what's going on. And so I remember finally, about that third day, I went to his word rather reluctantly, if I have to be honest. And here's what I read. I read John 14.1. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know what to tell you. I just know that God spoke to me so clearly in that moment. And those words, those simple words that they might not jump off the page to you. And I'm going to be honest, as I read them now, they're not jumping off the page to me with the same power. But in that moment, God spoke truth in a very dark place for me. And he set me free. It was like he looked me in the face and he said, would you trust me? Trust me. In this moment, stop feeling sorry for yourself. Stop beating yourself up. Would you trust me? Trust me. And the truth set me free. And the enemy's going to get you to run from truth. And the enemy's going to get you to stay away from the truth, to, to just sink further and further into the darkness. But run, run to the truth because it'll set you free. And the last thing we learn about ourselves is don't walk alone. It's really interesting that God chooses this moment to send Elijah to go find his replacement, Elisha. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad that the, the names are so different and we can't get them confused. So anyway, God sends Elijah to go find Elisha, to send his replacement, to go, go find your replacement. Go get your, your new assistant, train him up, and he's ultimately going to replace him. Why does he choose this moment? Why this moment right now? All the other stuff he could do, all the other stuff that's going on, why this moment? Because Elijah needs him right now. Elijah needs him right now. And God knows that, and he provides for him. You know, yesterday we went to the zoo uh, with my family along with everyone else who lived in Memphis. And uh, it, was, it was quite a day. It was quite a day. It was a beautiful day. Um, one of my favorite animals to see are the lions. And rarely do they do anything when you get there. I don't know if somebody out there is like, well, if you go at 1030, they, they jump through a hoop or whatever. I'll be there. You just tell me. But every time we go, they're just laying there. They're just laying there. And so we were, we were walking by, uh, leaving the playground. My kids' favorite um, animals are other kids because they love the playground so much. And so we finally got to the playground. We're walking past where the lions are. And I stop and I go, look, 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 one of them's standing up. And we just like looked at it and it was just standing up. And I was like, look, it's going to lay on the other side. And the lion just turned to the other side and I was like, yeah, lion. Like, I love lion. They're just, they're incredible. They're incredible animals. They're just so beautiful. I don't know. They're just, they're just, there's power there in those lions. And you know, as I think about those lions, they're, the, the, the scriptures refer to our enemy as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. When I think about lions and the way that they hunt, what are they trying to do? These lionesses are going to surround this herd, and what are they going to do? They're going to single somebody or some, some animal out. They're going to try to separate them from the rest of the herd. And the enemy does the same thing. His goal is exactly the same. Because he knows the power of the community that God's put together. He knows the power of God in the community that he's called us to. Galatians 6.2 says this. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's, that's big time. The law of Christ. This is what Jesus wants us to do. What does Jesus want us to do? Bear one another's burdens. That's for sure. That's fulfilling the law of Christ. And sometimes we don't do that. And sometimes we don't let people bear our burdens because why? I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to be a burden. And, and sometimes I don't let people bear my burdens because I'm embarrassed. 
I don't know why I got here, or, or even worse, I know how I got here, and it's my fault. I'm embarrassed. I don't, I don't want to get that close to people. But God says, look, I've called you together for this purpose. Ecclesiastes 4.10 says, but woe to him who's alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning with our students. Back in Genesis, we got one dude on the planet. We got Adam right there, and God looks at him, and he says, you're by yourself, and that's not good. The same for you and I. When we're in a difficult time, we're in the darkness. If you look around and you're by yourself, that's not good. We are called to bear one another's burdens. It's the community that he has put together around us. When Jesus is in the garden, he's about to be betrayed, facing the cross, what does he do? He asks his disciples, would you pray with me? Would you stay up with me? Would you be here with me? Jesus, the son of God, says, I'm not walking this by myself. He knows how it works. He knows that community. He doesn't try and walk it alone. So I, I want to close today, maybe a little strangely, I don't know. I'm going to ask the band. You guys come on back up. But I, I want to close today um, asking you this. Are you, are you in a dark place? Did the Holy Spirit talk to you this morning? As you know, some, some weeks people come to me and they say, hey, you know, that message, that was right for me. Thank you so much. And, and I got to be honest, I didn't know. I don't know. I don't, I'm not sitting there with a, a list of our members and going, you know, I think this person needs to hear this this week, right? Because I would probably say some terrible things. It probably would be good. But every week it's like the Holy Spirit, he meets you right where you are and he, he uses his word to speak to you directly. And so did he speak to you today? Are you in a dark place? Did the Lord bring you here today? And you go, I brought myself here today. I got my Toyota Camry, and I, and I stopped at Kroger for gas, and I got here, and I'm good, and I got plenty. No, no, no. No, you didn't. Our God is sovereign. He's in complete control. If you're here today, he brought you here today. No, my cousin Gary, he wouldn't leave me alone. I had it. No, no, no. God brought you here today. Is he speaking to you? Are you in a dark place? There's no reason you to be there alone it's not God's plan it's not God's design it's not for your good it's not for your joy it's not for your strength you are not meant to be there alone you might have walked in here alone in that dark place but listen to me listen to me there's no reason to walk out of here the same you don't have to walk out of here by yourself so I want to close, maybe, maybe it'll be weird, but, you know, my brain's broken, I'm weird. I'm going to ask um, Angela, I'm going to ask my wife. Angela, would you come right here? I'm going to ask if, if you're in a dark place. Oh, and Jude, excellent, my helper. If you're in that dark place this morning, maybe you know why you're there, maybe you don't. Maybe it's embarrassing. Maybe, maybe it's shameful even. If you're in that dark place, I want you to come forward. Like, just come up here with us. Me, my wife, my boy Jude. Come on. We're not going to embarrass you. But just come on. Come on. 
Come on. If you're in a dark place, get up here. No one's judging. No one's trying to make you feel weird. No one's trying to call you out. But we're not going to walk alone. Not anymore. Now, church family, these people here are coming here today saying they're in a dark place. For whatever reason, they're here. And we're not going to let them walk alone. We are God's hands and feet. He's given us the spirit. We're going to love them. We're going to pray for them. So I'm going to ask you, if you're willing, God's family, would you come forward? Gather around these people. Come forward. Don't leave them up here by themselves. If you can put your hands on them, put your hands on them. If you can't get close, put your hand on the person in front of you. Just begin to pray for them. You might not know their name. That's okay. God does. You might not know what's going on in their life. That is okay. God does. Just pray for them. God, we thank you that you've called us to a full life. Jesus, you came to give us life and life to the fullest. And God, I have brothers and sisters here today who are in a dark place. And the enemy's trying to pull their joy away. The enemy's trying to crush them. The enemy's trying to isolate them. But God, today, may they know that they're not alone. Would you fill them with the comfort of this community of believers you've put around them? May they know they're not alone. May they know that you are right there with them. Nothing can separate them from your love. Nothing. Height, nor depth, angels, demons, principality, nor things present, nor things to come. Nothing can separate them from your love. Nothing. Not this darkness, not this difficulty. Nothing. You're with them, and you love them, and you'll strengthen them. And every day when they wake up, as sure as the sun comes up, your mercy for them that day is new, and they will endure because you're good, and you're with them, and you're not through with them. No one here has been thrown away. You're not through. You have work for them to do yet. God, thank you for your love. Lord, help us as a community of believers as well to surround the people in our lives and in our community who need us the most to walk into the dark times, very literally to walk into the dark times hand in hand with our brothers and our sisters. And God, may we see you do crazy, incredible things. Because even here, even in the darkest of days, we trust you. We trust you. We can't see our hand in front of our face, but we trust you. We can't hear you like we've heard you before, but we trust you. We trust you.
God, help us. We love you. Thank you so much for your love for us. You're so good. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.